welcome to Game Changers with Vicki Abelson, who would be me. And my guest tonight is an old and wonderful friend. Not, no, you're not an old, you're not old. We're old. We've known each other a long time. You know, that's a horrible thing to say. No, it's all but, good. Yeah. Good <laughs> Jeff Pivar is in the house. He's in his house. So Jeff, tell us where you, where you are right now, what we're looking at. Well, this is my kind of combination studio office. Uh, I live in Ashland, Oregon, which is right above the California border. Uh, if you're driving on Route 5 past, okay. past uh, Mount Shasta, if you will, and you, go, you drive up the Siskiyou Mountain Range and then come down into a river valley, and that's the Rogue River Valley. And Ashland is the very first town. And it's, it's a really idyllic, beautiful place. And how did you find this? Well, um, I was touring here about 16 years ago with David Crosby, this band that we had at the time called CPR. And um, some mutual friends introduced me to a woman who uh, rocked my world and <laughs> changed my life. And it was really the best thing that ever happened to me. So I went to visit her about five days at the end of the tour, and I've been here ever since. Okay, we have to, we have to talk about this love story, because I, I uh, in love in the time of COVID is, this is just the fact that it exists. Okay, so, so how, were you involved with anybody at the time? Were you single when you met? Um, I was trying to figure out what my life was about. I had been married and divorced uh, and very amicably. My ex, Dan and I are still, you know, pals. And, and it was really, I'm really proud of that because she's a, a fantastic person. Oh, nice. And, uh, you know, some, sometimes as people evolve, they evolve in different directions. And so um, I was single. I was, you know, dating around a little bit, but just uh, I was kind of searching for myself, really. And uh, fortunately, I was very busy with music. Um, but the moment that I saw her, it was kind of like, oh, God. Yeah. Okay, I love this because I, I believe in that. I, I, do you believe in Do you believe in destiny? Do you believe? That well, the thing is, of course I do, and in fact, I recognize her as okay, we. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was freaky. Just it's like, and you know, it depends on how much uh, certain people go into the land of woo woo. <laughs> but we did talk to someone who who said, "Oh yeah, you guys have." known each other for many lifetimes that's my that was my very next question because i've done that i'm very woo woo when i believe yeah. in all and i also think jeff that when you meet somebody and you feel like you know them it's because you do you know i i am open to you know i mean i have been so amazed at how life has unfolded and and all these dreams uh of mine have kind of unfolded into reality certainly not placed in front of me you know um without working towards it or for it but um uh life has has uh, shown that it, it it is full of uh mystery and wonder and possibilities and uh i'm gonna think that way uh until i'm convinced otherwise <laughs> i i yes i love that yeah. okay so so how are you and i i was explaining to you before the show that uh the COVID crazies are the community that are that are watching most of the people that are watching us right now. Yeah. How how have you and Inga like what were you doing when the lights went out? Like what was your life like? Were you go, about to go on the road? Were you on the road? Where were you when COVID hit? Well, I I 
am proud to say that both of us, uh, both Inger and I, are artists that work at home uh, and, and we um, cultivate uh, business opportunities at home. Inger is a master sculptor and painter and she's been very busy working uh, on her art for years and constantly blows me away with, with what she does and, and a lot of clients because she's been selling a lot of her, her stuff and, and I'm so proud of her. I mean, I couldn't be more proud. Um, and what, 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 um, medium she work? Yeah. What medium does she work with? So I know that, uh, and, and I'm a guitar player, so I can't be exactly specific. I know that for many years, you know, she was working on all different types of art, uh, oils, pastels, maybe, um, she even did a run using, uh, latex paints, you know, colorful latex paints. And, and it was absolutely beautiful. Um, she, she seems to go through periods where she, there's kind of a run of a certain inspiration, you know, but in the last, I, I, I know that she took sculpture in school and in the last, I'm going to guess 10 years that has really taken off and she's put a lot of energy into that. And I, you know, she's, what does she, what does, what, what material does she sell? Starts with clay. And then there's a whole very intensive, um, production that happens uh, where you make molds and then they are, you know, you pour 2000 degree bronze in there. And, and then, you know, it's, it's a whole thing that being a guitar player scares the hell out of me. <laughs> she's amazing at it. And, uh, you know, fortunately we have uh, close friends in the area who are also adept sculptors and, and uh, assistants and mentors and so it's been a, a fantastic opportunity that the fact that uh, she has taken her uh, passion and just run with it and that there's a, a community here uh, and people who are good at doing the same thing who can, you know, she can partner with or, you know, get bring it to a foundry and they can work on it together to get it from the clay into this finished piece that is just astoundingly beautiful. Fantastical. So now what brought, is that where Inger is from? Is she from up there? Um, I think she was from the mid, I know that she was from the Midwest. Uh, and, uh, you know, like myself, both of us had been through uh, parental separations or divorces that kind of gave us uh, the opportunity to not be uh, sequestered in one area. So it opened up. I, I like to look at it rather than it being this horrible thing that happened. It was actually what needed to happen for us all to go venturing out to find where we're supposed to be. And, I all of that. Yeah. So uh, it, 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 her travels brought her to California, and uh, you know she was. We, we were both married once before, and uh, she has an amazing son named Soren who. Uh, is just doing great and he lives in the Midwest and he has his uh, her first grandson which is and just a gorgeous young man so Finley so um, you know it's just been an amazing unfolding of chapters of our lives and the fact that we happen to eclipse at uh, at this one moment is total happenstance yet I'd like to think that you know it was bound to happen you know 
uh, serendipity, as, as Tony said, I believe in serendipity. Um, so, okay, so when the, when COVID hit, you guys were both working at home, you were at yeah. home in Oregon. Um, yeah. Did you have plans? To, were yes. Yeah, so you, you did ask, and, and to, to further answer your initial question, um, we live in a, a home one of the reasons why we moved here is because it's a big enough living room that we could do our own shows here when I'm not on, out on tour. And it has been such a blessing because, uh, you know, we're, we're all very um, eclectic musicians mm -hmm. and we like to do lots of different things. So we, we write our own music together, Inger and I. We also have various projects. She had a funk band that she let me play in. Uh, it, it was cool and uh and you know there's there's some really talented people in this area but admittedly coming from new york it's not like right. there's as many you yeah. know so uh, fortunately as time has gone on we've found some wonderful musicians to play with and uh we've done various shows here some would be um we would uh, we would bring in dear friends. Uh, my friend Robbie Dupree from Woodstock came out and Kenny White came out and did a show and, you know, various guests. And we have a house band so people could send their material in, in advance, come in a day early, do a rehearsal, do the show. Uh, we also did nights, theme nights. So we did a Rolling Stones nights. We did two because they sold out so quickly. And then this other side project that Inger and I uh, put, put on on a Halloween uh, was the music of Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix, and people flipped out. We we did a costume party because it was Halloween. We all wore wigs and you know all that stuff, and it, people flipped out so so much to where we decided to have a project that you know would play a half a dozen times a year. We played the Oregon Country Fair main stage. We played the um, the Armory here. It was voted concert of the year years ago. <laughs> So, it, and, and actually at that first show, we had two different painters painting live during the uh, performance. One did a Jimmy and one did a Jimmy Page, you know. Wow. And, you know, it's just, it's a cool uh, area to, to live. You know, there's a lot of forward thinkers. There's a lot of healers. You know, it's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, exciting, um, fresh-minded people here. You know? Okay, so let me ask, because as we were talking about before, I, I actually have invited you to play at Women Who Write years ago when I saw you at NAM and Steve Postel's played The Living, and many people we both know have played. Right. And so now I'm being asked all the time when I think I might feel comfortable having 50, 60 people in my house again. Right. What, what does that feel like to you guys? Oh, that, that's a great question that is so hard to answer. I know. Fortunately, we're, we're, you know, planning some outdoor stuff. Uh, you know, as, as I'm sure most people feel, this is, uh, we're, we're navigating something. We have no idea how it's going to really uh, unfold. And, um, you know, I just think if we're being smart and not being pompous, uh, maybe, you know, things will get close to how they were. I, I would like to think that. How, how, how COVID crazy are you guys or not? Oh, well, we, we do the masks. I mean, at first, you know, when I go, went to the, went shopping, I washed every single item I took out of the bag and, you know, I've kind of relaxed with it a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate 
that uh, I mean, I just hit 64. So, uh, you know, it's You're not uh, impressing me. I'm 65. So I'm already double vaxxed and in efficacy. Okay. Are you have you guys had vaccines? Not yet. Not yet. And you know, it's not like I'm running to do it, but I know I need to do it. So it's going to happen. I'm sure I, I just, uh, you know, we ha I've I've heard people who are, you know, just a little crazy about it. And I, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I, I, I just kind of wish I didn't have to do it. Yeah. But, but speaking for as someone who has done it and even got a little sick from the second one, mm -hmm. it was so worth it. And it was yeah. no big deal. No. And I do feel a sense of a little bit more at ease than I did before. Well, that's awesome. And I, I probably will too, uh, assuming that um, I'll be okay. I know that there's a few people have had a horrible reaction to it. And so I'm, you know, I'm an optimist I, yeah. and I will continue to be. And that's ultimately what we so have. Do you guys have people in your bubble? What has your life been like for the last year? Do you have people in your bubble? Yeah, I mean, you could say that, you know, admittedly, um, one plus is that there's not a lot of it up here. There's not a lot of cases uh -huh. compared to like living in a Los Angeles or New York or whatever. So that, that makes a huge difference. So when you're, when you're thinking about the numbers game, the chances, and also the people that we have been around, we're making sure that they're using the same kind of, you know, just being careful, wearing masks where you go, washing your hands, you know, we take, you know, uh, stuff for our hands and uh and it's a little bit of a chance you know but uh be, you know because we have an ensemble the last show that we did uh was a quartet show which and, i saw so when did you first decide that it was okay to play music with other people in the same room well at first you know everyone was kind of not being very close and wearing masks and then uh, we just kind of whether we were being blindly crazy or thing, <laughs> as we talked to everyone and just said, look, you got to let us know how safe you are. You know, I, I don't want to uh, harm myself or my wife by playing music with you. And so it's, a, it's yes, it's a leap of faith. You know, this is such a tough one to navigate. And uh, I try not to make a habit out of, you know, uh, seeing too many people. Uh, I, I exercise, you know, safety always, uh, and it's a little bit of a, a chance, but uh, I've always been very healthy, and I would like to think, God forbid, if I even got this thing, that I'd be fine, but I don't want to get it, and which is why I'll, I'm sure I will be getting the vaccine soon. Uh, I, will, will Lee was on last week, and, and I was... Uh, um, the, the, the week before they did this big concert at the Beacon last March, mm. I met Jackson Brown at a Wild Honey concert here and hugged him and everything. And then read like a week later that he had gotten COVID and wow. Will got it. And like everybody at that Beacon, like a lot of people at that Beacon show right. got sick. Has, has it touched your life? Has his COVID affected anybody that you know well? Good question. Uh, no one's coming to mind. Although, you know, Jackson is a friend yes. and, so, and he's, he's been amazing to me. Uh, we've worked together in the past. He, uh, there's a really funny story um, just since you brought him up because I love this story. So he, uh, we recorded the first CPR record at his studio and he, he was so sweet to me because um, when I was touring with Mark Cohn, 
Jackson came to sit in a few times, so we got to know one another, and he could see that I could, I could play the guitar, and just a little bit. He had, he had respect for me. He 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 made it very well known that he really liked what I did, and uh, you know when we recorded his at his studio, he said, hey, you know if you need anything, uh, you know my gear is next door, and he opened the door and he grabbed a dumble lamp for me and let me play it. It was Lowell George's dumble lamp, and you know it's just crazy stuff like that, and. Um, but, but this funny story. So I was still living in Connecticut area, you know, East coast, New York, Connecticut. I was going back and forth and he goes, listen, I'm doing a couple TV shows. And since you're out there and I can't get Lindley to do it, Lindley played this instrument called the tambora on this song, uh, the next voice, the next voice you hear. Well, th that's exactly what I was saying. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, it should be relatively simple. It's basically it's a one note part played on a tambura with a violin bow. And I'm going like, oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll call you. And I'm going to get ask Lindley if we can get the instrument. So I, I leave and I call my friend. How the fuck are you using a violin bow? You know, it was, <laughs> but, it, you know, I, I just tuned all the strings to one note and then just saw it away. I mean, it was, you know, and I, we played on. Uh, let's see, it was Conan O'Brien um, and, and uh, another, uh, maybe Letterman. And uh, it was kind of a very moody, uh, I'm sorry, moody song, you know, next voice you hear. And so uh, on the first show, it pans to the band and everyone's, you know, very somber and very serious. And then it goes to me and I'm like smiling, going like, yeah, I'm just playing one note. You know, after the show, he said, great job, but can you not smile? <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw your performance of the decade, um, which you just sent to me, which I think I had actually seen before of you lip syncing the saxophone behind Joe Cocker. What, what the hell was that about? So, <laughs> oh my God. You know, I sometimes, you know, think back at some of these moments and, and <laughs> I wouldn't even believe it if it wasn't true, you know? Um, when I toured with Joe Cocker, who, by the way, was such a beautiful man. I, okay, I we have to talk about Joe, but uh, yeah. Okay. Salt of the earth, and he treated everybody so respectfully and took wow. care of everyone. I mean, on nights off, he'd take the entire entourage, everyone having to do with the concert, out to like five-star restaurants. I mean, he was selling out, you know, 20,000-seat concerts, so... Right. Right. You would afford it, but still. Most people don't do that. Right. I, I don't know anybody who does that, you know, who who wow. is pulling out, you know, twenty thousand seat to, to take out what, you know, fifty to hundred people, you know. Wow. So that's that's Joe Cocker, class act. But anyway, um uh oh yeah, so this so <laughs> it was the beginning of a tour <clears throat> and uh, at the time Joe's manager was Michael Lang, Michael Lang who put on Woodstock, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And Michael and I had worked together uh, on a number of different projects. He was managing Ricky Lee Jones when I was wor working with Ricky on uh, the, like the second time I worked with her. But uh, he uh, brought half the band over for a thing called San Remo, which is a uh, it's a televised all over Europe. It's from San Remo, Italy, and every band plays their hit single. So it's like. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on of who's who's, you know, who comes on. But uh, I learned at that time that 
when a, a, a hit sing or a single is made, they'll often make a version with no lead vocal for television shows that might not have the wherewithal to be able to set up the band so it could sound really good or right. something like this where it's like it's a one-off you get on stage they play the tape the band mimes to the tape and joe sings live you know so it's the day of the show and i'm like it, the song is unchained my heart and at the time the saxophone player on tour with us with, was Marty Kursik, who is a beautiful man and a friend of mine, and he's, he's no longer here. But, but anyway, he wasn't there. And I, I'm like, there's a saxophone solo, and there's no saxophone. Um, I think I should play the saxophone. <laughs> Can you get me a saxophone? So I asked if they would get me one so I could practice in the mirror, so I could learn the melody, or at least the rhythm, so I could look somewhat convincing yeah. So for anyone in the studio audience who wants to look, uh, Unchain My Heart, San Remo, 1988. Oh, it's phenomenal. And you, you look amazing. But it's also, it's a little, it's, it, what is it? it it's like, a, it's a little saxophone. It's a tenor solo, but it's an alto. They, they got me an alto saxophone. So any musician would, uh, who, who knew anything about that would know for sure that I wasn't playing it besides... <laughs> Besides the leather pants and the pink uh, body shirt that yeah, they the whole look was fantastic. Me. But you were really dancing it. You were you were you were doing it. I was trying to sell it. What can I say? <laughs> but the funny thing at the end, uh, Art, Artie Garfunkel was on the gig too, and he did one of his songs. And then we were all hanging out at the bar afterwards, and and I went up to him. You know, we were we were having a few beers or whatever. I said, "Man, I'm I'm just a big fan of your music. I'd love to play with you sometime." And he goes, "You know what? We're actually thinking about adding a sound." <laughs> <laughs> true story oh my god did you ever get to play with him um you know what the next time i saw him was when we when david and graham and i played carnegie hall it was the one time in my life uh that i played carnegie hall and i actually flew my father up from florida oh. and uh got him a limo from his hotel to carnegie hall and in the middle of the show ugh, i'm gonna cry uh, Graham Nash said, I'd like to introduce the Pivar family. Would you please stand up? <sighs> oh, my God. Yeah. That had to be like your father's proudest moment of his uh, life. Well, certainly was a lot better than when I told him I was going to quit high school. <laughs> it went over a lot better. <laughs> so, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about, I want to talk about more about Joe Cocker and how CPR and all of that. But, but let's go back to the beginning. So. So where did you grow up, Jeff? Where were you? Where were you in school? Well, I don't. I'm not. I'm not convinced. I've entirely completed. The <laughs> yes, I'll accept that. But, but admittedly, you know, being a musician uh, gives you license to stay in touch with your child, and that's <laughs> most of what I mean. I, I, I am an adult. And I make adult decisions most of the time. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm from, you know, Connecticut, Hartford area, and uh, I. You know, from seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, I was sold. I mean, that that just was it for me. I felt did you play anything prior to that? Did you play? Uh, just no. And in fact, after seeing the Beatles, it was first air guitar before it was real. Oh, no, wait a minute. I was nine. You, you were really lit. You were eight. You were a little kid. Yeah, I, I started at 10. Okay. I started at 10. There was two years of air guitar. I needed to kind of sort that out. You know, kind of get get that really happening. 
I figured. So, so was George your guy? Was George your guy? Was no, when you I, I got to admit, Paul was yeah. it for me. And, and actually, a few years ago, while rehearsing with Crosby, Paul was down the hall, and we had a chance to hang out. And not only that, but we got invited into their room, and I'm sitting about three feet in front of him while they're going through six songs. And I'm like, I felt like a 12 year old, you know, girl just melting into the couch. And then they came in to watch us play. So it was so full circle for me, you know, like my true hero, the guy who just blew me away musically, his spirit, his laughter, his joy, the sparkle in his eye. Wow, it, it was, I, I've, I just feel so fortunate. You know, I used to say lucky, I think luck can be total happenstance and fortune is something that you manifest through your perseverance of following the passion of what you want to do with your life. And, I agree. I think luck is that. They say when opportunity meets uh, uh, perseverance is what mm -hmm. luck is. I, I, yeah. So, so, and you also play bass. Did, did you, was that something that you did then or did you pick that up later? Um, good question. I, you know, um, I have become adept at working in the recording studio and um, when composing and working on stuff myself, mm -hmm. I play, often play all the instruments. In fact, on, on, on our uh, record that uh, Inger and I did, Anthem, mm -hmm. I'm playing everything except drums. Uh, yeah, so bass and keyboards and mandolin and lap steel and percussion and, you know, so um, I've over time, I've become adept at it. Um, but when uh, Jefferson Starship asked me to fill in on guitar, I kind of made a connection with them. And then they were doing a tour. Well, Jefferson Starship at that point in time had no bass player. Their keyboard player, Chris Smith was playing keyboards and keyboard bass. Mm -hmm. And then they did a bigger tour called The Heroes of Woodstock, which was a celebration of the musicians who played at Woodstock and uh, you know, um, a fantastic combination of, of musicians. So um, they asked me if I would play bass. And I said, sure. <laughs> so I, I decided to buy a five string bass, which I had really no experience at. And, uh, but yeah, it was really a, an amazing opportunity. And, you know, there's some videos of me and Mark Cohn uh, where I'm playing bass. Uh, there's a really nice version of Fever uh, recorded at Austin City Limits. And yeah, I, I, I play bass on, you know, a few records, uh, including my own. Uh, but uh, David Wilcox, I play uh, guitar and bass on, his, on one of his records. And I love playing bass. And, and uh, there's a song on the CPR record. I play bass. Well, you, what's interesting, Jeff, is that you also oft play guitar like bass, which is fascinating to me. But the, the you you pluck a guitar without you play lead guitar without a pick with your awesome. fingers. Awesome. Um, I don't know. I don't think I know anybody else that does Jeff that. Beck. Jeff Beck does that. Oh yes, he does. Yes, of course he does. Well, I just saw Jimmy. Beck for the first time, actually. Yeah. Jim Messina was was uh, an influence as far as the sound that he got with Loggins and Messina, uh, the clean Telecaster and just mm. beautiful. It's just so uh, intimate and it's so uh, it, it's hard to find words, except that when you hear that sound, it's different. But for me, I have a connection to the instrument that's just 
I, I just feel like, you know, having my fingers on the strings uh, gives me more um, control to the velocity, to the touch, to the feeling. And, uh, and admittedly, uh, the pick sometimes just feels clumsy to me. So I kind of start. Were you doing that from the beginning? Was it something no. that was getting No. I, mean, so, I, I still use a pick. You know, it just kind of, it's just, it's like, you know, apples and oranges. It's just a, a technique. And there's, there's certain things that you have to use a pick, you know, um, and certain times where I just take the thing and put it in my mouth because I'm, I'm bored right. with it or I just <laughs> want to get it the fuck out of the way. So, so <laughs> is, is Beck one of your guitar oh, heroes? Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Good thing. Um, you know, I went through the gambit and, and the list, you know, uh, uh, growing up or attempting to grow up in the city. <laughs> these you know with with clapton and and hendrix and beck and alvin lee and then graduating you know of course when i heard mclaughlin it, it blew my mind and i couldn't believe it and it was beyond me but um the prowess you know kind of blew me away and i got into fusion a little bit but the guys who uh, really kicked me into the next stratosphere was robin ford and larry carlton and uh, lowell george and ry cooter um you know, and the list goes on. John Schofield, oh my God, and uh, you know, I could keep going. Okay, so let's get back to so so Paul McCartney first influence. So you're you're playing air guitar. You get a real guitar. Are you? Did you start on acoustic guitar? Are you playing electric guitar? What are you doing? My my brother Steve, um, who is about ten years older than me. I have three brothers. Uh, Peter is the middle brother. I'm the baby, and Steve is ten years older. And he brought a guitar home from college. And uh, he went away for the summer. Uh, and by the time he came back, he realized, oh, okay, this is now not my guitar. <laughs> so yeah, the, um, I, I started, you know, um, it's interesting because back in the day before in the internet, um, I, you, I, I did get a little chord book that had um, chord diagrams. So it shows you the little dots where you could put your fingers. This is a D chord, right. you know? but it's not, you know, so it, I I went to sleep every night with the transistor radio by my ear. And so I was cultivating not only my own personal thing, but my family always listened to music. My father loved Frank Sinatra and Porgy and Bess and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, when I fell in love with the Beatles and this and that, I just started figuring out songs. So basically, I taught myself how to play. And um, are we okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just, we got frozen. And so I was, we're not frozen. We're fine. I was just okay. making, making okay. a little, uh, I saw so, so yeah, so I, so then I started playing in, you know, little bands, uh, you know, with, with little, little guys, you know, we'd get together and bang out in the, uh, bang guitars in the, uh, in the basement and, uh, you know, get told to turn it down and all that. And I, I think I got a gig at the uh, uh, the the heart the was it the heart uh, West Hartford Jewish Center. Uh, <laughs> That's big. But but actually, when I was fifteen, I started playing in clubs. There was okay. A, okay. So what was the when you were that? Did did you know this is what I'm gonna do? This is what I'm gonna do. Oh yeah. Oh this yeah. Is what I'm gonna do. Oh yeah. From from the get go, I was, I was there ever a Plan B, Jeff. Uh. Well, put it this way, there's, I've done a few things, like for instance, I met a fantastic guy, 
some a musician friend of mine named Gary Siegel. Uh, he's a harmonica player, and he was doing kind of what you might call a day job. He was cleaning rugs, right? And his boss's name was Spaceman. <laughs> the day after I decided to leave high school, you know, my parents who were not together at the time, and both of them wanted me to stick it out, and I tried it for another couple of weeks. But I really knew music was it for me. I was playing every weekend. And I decided to leave school and start augmenting my income so I could afford to be a, a, a guitar player. And so <laughs> my, we were traveling around, you know, with Spaceman and they got gigs. And, I, you know, I was <laughs> cleaning rugs and I realized not that long into my tenure as a carpet cleaner by day, you can only get so good as a carpet cleaner. <laughs> And with the car, the ceiling was so much higher. So I thought, yeah, that's a better move for me. <laughs> so, so, okay, so you start playing clubs at like 15. Or, or how are, are you like getting by in school? Are you a natural good student? Are you not so good? How's that? No. Well, well, admittedly, the combination of my parents breaking up, discovering marijuana, uh, and getting obsessed with the guitar, all of those things kind of led me down the path of music. <laughs> the thing is, is that I, you know, I got the live Allman Brothers at Fillmore East and I figured out every lick on that record. And, you know, so, so the lessons were showing themselves to me. I mean, I was taking the initiative to like, I'm hearing this and I'm going to figure this out. I, I remember getting the, uh, the Yes record and Mood for a Day came on and I was like, I'm going to learn that. And I took the record player and listened to three notes and took it off and figured it out. And then I listened to the first five notes and then figured that out and did it all the way through the song. Now the record is unplayable, but at least <laughs> I learned, learned how to play the song. And I realized that my ear was good enough where I could hear, if, if I could hear it and spend the time uh, to figure it out on the on the instrument, I can do this. So that's really how I learned how to play guitar. I just emulated all my favorite guitar players, and you I... never you never studied, Jeff. No, never. Never. You and you taught yourself to read music. You know, reading music um, for me hasn't been a strength. Uh, I use it to communicate to others, but uh, you know, I mean, the Beatles didn't read music. You yeah. know. There's a lot of people. It just depends on what kind of musician you want to be. And admittedly, I am put into situations where I need to read. And mm -hmm. so I will kind of painstakingly, you know, for me, it's better if I get it in advance and then I can study it to where I don't have to look at the paper, where I understand what they're communicating to me. And there's been a few uh, hairy situations. I remember I was doing a... <laughs> a, a, a a jingle in, in New York, and thank God, uh, Iris Siegel was on the same date. And I said, Ira, Ira, what's this? How do you play this? You know, so, um, you know I've kind of squeaked by, and, and admittedly, when I was with Ray Charles' band, it was all charts. But, oh, yeah. but the, the guitar chair is, is mostly a rhythm instrument until it's time to solo, and when it's time to solo, it's improvising. Right. So I... I when, when the when the chart said G7 flat 13 sharp 11, I knew if I played a G7, it sounded really good. I mean, it worked fine. And all the horns were playing all those other notes. And as as time went on, I understood, you know, I, I knew what those notes were. And then 
man, if I count, if I count up from the first note to those that flat 13, well, there's that note and they're playing it. So now I know how to play a flat 13, you know, so it was kind of, I, I got the gig and it was. Well, tell us how you got that gig. I mean, that's an, un I can't believe you played yeah, it. This is a, a, a little bit of a, a wild story. So I was very fortunate. Um, my, you know, the, the, I'm sure everyone's uh, musical career unfolds kind of like the um, domino effect, right? <laughs> so one thing leads to another, you get heard, you get recommended, someone sees you play, all of those types of things, right? So I, I ended up getting a uh, getting seen by a woman who brought me into a recording studio. And the man who owned the recording studio, his name is Doug Cupper and Doug and I became very quick friends. He saw this young kid who wanted to bring, who drove up to his studio in a Volkswagen with a Marshall 410, 412 in the back seat, And he's like, you could just leave that in there. That's just <laughs> got this little Fender Deluxe. It sounds great. By yeah. the way, people are asking if you're comfortable standing. I, I didn't ask Jeff to stand through this. Oh, no, I, I'm, I, I will say this. In, um, I've noticed in the last uh, year, um, because I'm in my 60s, and, and when I sit too much, it's not good for my back. And, and I'm, I'm doing yoga. I'm doing core exercises. I actually enjoy uh, staying upright. And I know that as the years go by, uh, the chances of staying really upright are going to lessen. Uh, you know, as I punch over the thing, and by the way, your cousin is on the show, oh, um, Cindy Ratner Pilar oh, is saying oh, hi, and, and uh, Cindy Gold was at a dance at the West Hartford Jewish Center that you played oh, at. God. Well, her, 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 uh, let's see, was it her uncle? Yeah, or, or no, her, uh, Steve Winnick, who was my first drummer, so they were, they were related. I, I think he, she is his aunt, if I'm not mistaken and so yeah we've we've known each other since like pre-puberty you know what i mean that long and cindy's saying that you played it at their engagement party in 1973 <laughs> those, those are roots those are roots right there so uh -huh. Okay, so so getting back, I'm sorry, I didn't mean no, to interrupt. No, it's fine. It's fine. So all right, so Ray Charles, so I, I got this uh, opportunity to work at Doug's studio, right? And he started hiring me for um, for sessions, my first session, you know, uh, gigs, playing on people's records, you know, and I'm in my teens, and it's unbelievable opportunity, and I learned so much, and he introduced me to a lot of stuff. As time went on, I, I it was advised and, and kind of thought, I, I need to go out to California to become rich and famous, right? And he goes, well, you need a demo tape. I'm going to give you free time to do a demo tape. So we recorded a couple tunes. In fact, uh, a very dear friend of mine who is a huge um, influence on my musical development, Michael Ruff. Um, he got me my first tour with Ricky Lee Jones, but Michael plays on my, my first demos. Anyway, Doug ended up... I, I, I got an offer to move to Boston to work with a regional artist named James Montgomery. Uh -huh. And uh, so I ended up not going to California at that point in time. And Doug was using this tape we made for his clientele. Anyone who would come in who wanted to see what, what can you do in the studio? And then he'd play this tape and he would get a lot of clients. So immediately there was this really good give and take 
thing between the two of us. Well, I ended up moving back to the Hartford area. Doug gave me the keys to his studio. On my first record in the credits, Doug Cupper, Keys to the Kingdom. Yeah. So, like, who does that, you know? I'm, I'm going to trust you with all my gear. And I would go in after wow. three in the morning or nights off, and I would just work and record and learn how to play all these instruments and write original music. And wow. You gave well. me goosebumps. So to, that led to this Ray Charles story. So it's a Friday and I see in the Hartford Advocate that Ray Charles, well, it's that week, and I see that Ray Charles is going to play on Friday in New Haven, which is about 40 minutes from Hartford. And I had the night off, which was rare, because I was keeping busy playing with a couple of bands. Right. So of course, I decided not only am I going to, well, I'm, I'm going to go see Ray Charles. I've never seen Ray Charles. I don't know what to expect, except that I know that he's, you know, loved by millions, right? Right. That afternoon, I get a phone call from a, a, a band member of the jazz band. He said, listen, uh, I just heard that they called our friend Morris to fill in on guitar because their guitar player had left. You should go down and get that gig. And on that, I got my things together and went down early. Now, the only thing that I had was a Rolling Stone magazine that had the very first time my name was in maybe one of the only times it was mentioned in Rolling Stone, but there was, there was, <laughs> there was a, um, a review of the Ricky Lee Jones record, the magazine, and it's the quote there is, and the graceful pluck and weave of Jeff Pivar's guitar on the song, It Must Be Love, blah, 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 blah. So I grabbed that as like, you know, well, hey, I must be okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> took that with me and my dream. And I waited until, you know, I'm standing outside of the theater and then all of a sudden a Trailways type bus pulls up and they're unloading. And I go um, to the first guy, could you let me know who your band leader is? And he pointed to a gentleman named Clifford Solomon, beautiful man, told him that I was interested in the gig. He goes, well, um, you know, we're just getting ready for sound checks. So why don't you come on in and hang by, you know, by the side of the stage. We're doing two shows. And, uh, you know, it turned out that my friend who someone who has become an incredibly close friend of mine, Morris Pleasure, Mo Pleasure, uh, who uh, has an amazing background as a multi-instrumentalist. He had sent his resume to Ray Charles's people because he wanted to play uh, bass with the band. Uh, but he, he was filling in on guitar. He's a multi-instrumentalist, right? So I'm standing side stage seeing Morris's hands shake and he's got the charts and they're falling on the floor. And, you know, and so here I am watching the set and I'm thinking, I, I, I've used this analogy a lot, the, um, the duality uh, like animal kingdom where there's the, the devil and the, uh, and the angel, right? And the devil's going, Jeff, you can't do this gig. They're, they're charts, you don't read. And the angel's going, Jeff, why would you quit before you even, you know, maybe they're not that hard, you know? So they finished the first set and um, Clifford comes over to me and he goes, so what do you think? And I go, I'm really interested. And he goes, do you have a tape? And I go, no, but I'll be right back. So they, they're finishing their first gig. I drive 90 miles an hour to Hartford to the recording studio where I had some um, uh, tapes at, at Doug's studio of my playing. 
and I offloaded three of the bluesiest, uh, uh, you know, pieces that showed I'm a soulful white guy. Uh, <laughs> Wait, how old are you, Jeff? Now or then? No, then, right? <laughs> I, was, I was 26. <laughs> I think I was 26. Okay. Although I'm getting older by the end of this story. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I get back in the car, driving 90 miles an hour. I mean, you know, it's a, probably a 75 minute show, right? And it's 40 miles. Anyway, I pull around the corner. Just as the door is just about closing and I hand the cassette through the door that's almost closing. And Clifford, here's my tape. And he calls me the next day to audition and I got the gig. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> and what was your personal relationship with Ray Charles like? What, what, what was that? Well, admittedly, um, you know, when you're working with someone who um, you don't have the same type of communication with eyes that makes it more challenging. Absolutely. But I will say this very soon from starting to work with him, he would often turn around when I would play a certain well-placed blues note and turn around and he'd go, Oh, you nasty boy. <laughs> and Oh my God. Talk about Grasshopper and the Master. Master. Wow. Epiphany of like, oh my God. Did wow. You, if I was like talking to myself, did you see what just happened? <laughs> well, are any of, is any of that recorded where a moment like that well, happened? Yeah. If, if, you, if you go to Ray Charles and Jeff Pivar on, Yo on YouTube, there's a, today. there's a couple, there's a couple, but there's this one ballad called all I want to do is lay around and lay, uh, love on you. And it's a, it's a ballad and he gives me a lot of room to play. And you could, uh, you know, there's, there's a solo in the middle that you could see him like, ah, whoa, <laughs> and there's also towards the end of the tune where he's singing and I'm kind of answering him, you know, and, and you could hear, you know, hear him, oh, it was it was so beautiful because you know like some people you could play and you have no idea if it's working yeah. you know? but with him he was such a litmus paper you know and he was so emotional and he loved the blues but uh he actually asked me if i would come out to his recording studio uh and and i ended up recording uh on a christmas record he got the jewish guitar player from connecticut to come out. <laughs> A Christmas record called The Spirit of Christmas. So I play on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and <laughs> What Child Is This? And uh, it was just him and me in the studio. And he would turn on the tape. He did all the tape op. He would let me play through the whole tune. And then he'd come back and he goes, this, I, I like this right here. But here, could you go, boop, beep, boop, beep, beep. I go, sure. And I'd go, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. Yeah, just like that. Okay, cool. And then we'd go down the whole tune and we'd work together like that. Paul Roland just said, ask about Ray's advice about how many notes to play. Right, right. Well, that, that's it. Hi, Paul. Um, <laughs> Paul and I go way back and he knows this story. So when I was Duffy Walden sing hey also right now yeah well when I was in the studio with Ray I actually took a little cassette player to right. record some of our banter uh -huh. and I have this piece of audio 
Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give it to you the way that I remember it, but I have it. Okay. I learned one thing from a, a man who's, who's dead now, Basie, Count Basie. He said, you know, he goes, I learned it's not how many notes you play, it's what you got in each note. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, you know, uh, piece of history. And, and I, I'm going to put on a record somewhere. I know that there's legalities involving this kind of stuff because, you know, uh, but I think if I, well, whatever, I, I do have it. And it was a fantastic piece of, of uh, Grasshopper and the Master, you know, and I learned wow. if I can move this guy, I must be doing something all right. And, and it, it's a great lesson. It, it, it's a great lesson that I continually use in my musicality when I am trying too hard, you know, that it's not how many notes you play, it's what you got in each note. And speaking of what you got in each note, how about playing us something, Jeff? Because we've got you standing there all this time and, and we haven't heard any music yet. And we've got some questions to ask after. I'm not sure I can do this, you know. I have only played guitar a little bit. And, and admittedly. Tell us what you're gonna play for us. I will, I will. Okay. Um, Can we hear that already? Oh yeah, it's great. Um, you know, it's interesting as I've uh, gotten to where I am now, my my hands are starting to, you know, not feel like they're twenty anymore. So, <laughs> so I'm I'm kind of dealing with that, and that's that's my kind of excuse. So if I tank in some of this stuff, then <laughs> not warmed up, folks. Um, so this song, there there was a opportunity. Uh, that after I, I had a chance to be introduced to David Crosby and Graham Nash at a show that I was playing with my friend Mark Cohn, and we were opening up for Crosby, Sills and Nash, and they were huge Mark Cohn fans, and they ended up coming up on our set, and then three song, no, I'm sorry, three shows into us opening up for Crosby, Stills and Nash, Crosby pulls me aside and he said. Nash and I have been watching you, and we feel like you'd be the perfect addition to our duo when we're not working with Steven. Where I am so upset I didn't say, well, I don't know, Dave, I've got some club dates back in <laughs> <laughs> But I didn't. My, my jaw dropped to the floor, and as time uh, moved forward, we ended up doing some tours together as a trio. And I will say, to their credit, um, I asked permission if the ad could include my name, which was kind of a ballsy thing to do, but there's only three guys on stage, right? So <laughs> I said, put it in small letters, but you do that for me? And they did. So God bless them. They're, they're amazing people. And, and actually each one is, is a number of people. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I owe them so much gratitude and I love them dearly. And, um, I learned so much playing music with them, but to get back to this song, um, David ended up becoming, um, was, was contacted by his son that he never met. And it's a longer story and I won't go into that whole thing, but uh, James Raymond is an amazing musician. And at that point in time, when I was working with Crosby and Nash, uh, James and David were reunited and 
David played me some of James's music and asked me if I would be interested in putting a band together with his son. So to have the opportunity to be a voyeur and an assistant in a father and son reunion was phenomenal, especially because James is a badass. He's he's a genius, you know, and, and, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as they say. Well, the first CPR record was a combination of of a lot of different things where uh, we would get together and we would write different ways. And there's one song where I had lyrics and I would email it to David. You know, we, we came up with a rock and roll tune where I wrote two lines, he wrote two lines, blah, blah, blah. Well, this one is a song from the first CPR record that was pre-existing lyrics. And in fact, David even threw it out to CSN. And there's a version of that uh, recorded, which it, as David puts it, it, it was never finished. You know, it was like it was a jam and he sang these lyrics, but it was never realized until he said when I came in and put the music to the song. It was, the, it was what was supposed to happen with these lyrics. So the name of the song is Little Blind Fish. It's the very first song I ever wrote with David Crosby. It's on the first CPR record. And I will attempt to, uh, to sing it. Uh, water. Little blind fish in a wide river saying who is the gift who is the giver is it a matter of choice where you go does it give you a voice just to know that you're here that you're here that you're here you're here little blind fish staring at a mirror saying how far can you see are you getting any nearer little blind bird sitting in a tree saying this is the end now can't you see it's all gone It's all gone. It's all gone. Solid Fox sitting in a box saying this is an open space and it has no locks. It's 
Had an old lion living in a cage Bent off his own leg in a rage In a rage In a rage In a Fish in a wide river saying, Who's the gift? Who is the giver? Is it a matter of choice? Where you go, does it give you a voice just to know that you're here? That you're here. That you're here oh. oh god jeff oh oh god oh, you know so while we're here i i, I want to go back and ask you about lauren nero and i want to ask you about ricky lee but we're here and we're talking about david and you know i just i recently saw the documentary and David was talking about being estranged from pretty much every person on the planet. So has your, how you've maintained a relationship with David through everything, correct? Well, um, there was a period of time where there was a bit of a, uh, a gap. I mean, we've maintained friendship, but we didn't play music together for a period of time. And uh, it was, at, at first, it really um, took uh, some toll on my spirit because I love the man. And uh, we put a lot of energy into music together. But it ended up being the best thing that could ever happen because I ended up, you know, as the saying goes, when one door closes, other doors open. Right. And uh, sometimes you need to get eked out of a nest of comfort area to persevere in areas that you need to and I almost feel like if there's such a thing as my guardian angels they were like dude you need to like not be doing this for the rest of your life you need to do your own records and so I mean I ended up doing my own record I did the jazz is dead record you know I right. I Phil Lesh and friends they called me uh, to do that and on the heels of that I, I got a phone call from a guy who said you know there's this band called Jazz is Dead with Rod Morgenstein, T. Lavitz from the Dregs, Alfonso Johnson from Weather Report are you interested in the gig and I'm like oh, oh my god where do I go audition and he says you don't audition you, you got the gig if you want it. it's like what so um, you know all these opportunities happened this domino effect you know where I guess you know people hear things that they like and they they take a chance of course you know it's because nothing's guaranteed but um, I ended up you know playing with these gentlemen who were heroes of mine and uh, I ended up taking a lot of responsibility and working on arrangements and I actually took uh, most of them into the studio and uh, with my own dime put a jazz is dead record together of music that I mainly arranged myself but with the help of you know of them too and their mark on it is ridiculous and we got a special guest like Luis Conte and uh, Bill Evans on sax and uh, 
you know, Jerry Goodman on, on violin. And, you know, I'm so proud of that record. It's ridiculous. It's like it's bucket list, you know. So to get a chance to play with a lot of these heroes, they made me play above my abilities. And that, that was a real epiphany for me uh, when, you know, because it's very easy for us to kind of think, well, I don't know if I'm good enough or I don't know if I could, you know, cut it. But I want to. And I, uh, I did a pretty good job. I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of what came out and uh, made a lot of people happy. So, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, if I could uh, encourage everyone and anyone who has a dream that they kind of, they're not really sure if they could do it or not, don't listen to that. Just until you, you prove that you can't assume you can. And, and we were just... talking about this last night, Jeff, about the people who seem to, about saying yes to everything. It's just saying yes to everything. Yeah. What, what do we have? How to do it. How do you learn how to do it? You say yes and go, okay, how do I do a film score? All right. And I did a film score. I had no idea how to do it. And you learn on the job training, you know? So, um, is there, have you had any regrets? I mean, is there anything that you said yes to? And you're like, oh my God, why did I do that? No, right? Because you learn something with everything. Never, never, yeah. never. Okay, so let's let's roll it back. So Ricky Lee Jones, first big, Alfred, you must know Alfred Johnson, I assume you I know. I certainly know who he is and I've met him. Yeah, okay. and he wrote Company, didn't he? I, th I think he wrote that that song. I don't know. I, he he may have. I, I do know that he worked with Ricky and still does. I believe, I believe that he wrote that song. Uh, I could be wrong, but I have met him. Uh, the band, uh, well, I, I got the gig because of my dear childhood friend, Michael Ruff, who is, uh, was a, a genius 15-year-old jazz. Okay, so how did you know, how, how did you and Michael know each other? How did that relationship start? Uh, I, I was going... Uh, there was a period of time where I went to live with my father because my mother had gotten ill uh, from depression and uh, living in Manchester and going to school there. Michael was attending school there and um, a uh, ensemble had formed where I was playing with Michael as well as jamming with other musicians. And Michael and I just became soulmates very early on. Interestingly enough, talk about bonding both of our mothers were in the same facility wow. uh, yeah for because they were both uh, divorcees who had manic depression so uh we i remember visiting both of our mothers this is the first time you know the door closed and the door was locked you know because you know wow. she was receiving treatment and I, we just went out to his car and hugged and cried um michael called me in 1983 saying ricky lee jones is auditioning guitar players and if you want to pay your own way out I will get you an audition and all the musicians on that tour were very established you know Tony Bronigo on drums you know Bonnie Raid and Reggie Tony, McBride, Tony did the show. Uh -huh. Reggie McBride on bass I mean Stevie Wonder you know so I ended up doing the audition and I actually was so nervous that I, I didn't do very well but Michael I was staying at Michael's house on his couch and he said, stay in town, keep working on this stuff. And about a week later, after working on it every day, he said, come in, and this isn't an audition, it's just a rehearsal. And he just kept me there. And then 
it, the day that Ricky came in, I was, you know, rehearsing with the band and she puts on a guitar. It was uh, Weasel and the White Boys Cool. I don't know if you know that tune. Ding, 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 ding. And she's walking over to me with her guitar. Ding, ding. And she's walking closer and closer. And all of a sudden, her, she put her head next to mine. And I'm flipping out. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. All right, Jeff, just relax. Just relax. It's all going to be fun. <laughs> and, you know, we bonded and did that tour this is 1983 so the band that i was playing with replaced me i did a seven week tour playing you know in huge places we played um red rocks it was my first time playing at red rocks oh. i felt like i was looking if if you're standing on the stage at red rocks and looking out you have the rocks on every side on, on either side it's like the inside of an eyeball looking at heaven that's what i was kind of feeling i was just you know convulsing with joy and anyway, after the seven weeks of working with Ricky, I came home to no work. So it was, you know, the band that I was playing with replaced me and I was scuffling, you know, and it was so interesting how it could go so high and then so low. But it was a great lesson in regards to, OK, so note to self, diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, it's but just, no regret going with Ricky and giving up a gig. No, 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 no. I would never say that. It was yeah. it was an amazing opportunity, and we we ended up working together numerous times after that. And she's an unbelievable musician and a very interesting person. Um, I met her at one of the Christmas parties a couple of years ago, and Postel was there, and a bunch of she had this whole jam on. It was cool. she's amazing, yeah. Oh my god, she's one of the best ever. You know, I mean, there's very few people that make me weep when they when when they sing, and she she just totally hits me. You know, so I, I'm so grateful to her. It's very interesting the type of uh, musicians I've been able to dare I say manifest, whether it's Ricky or or, or Ray Charles or. You know, I, I've really, uh, whatever sites or guardian angels have kind of led me to these places have been really uh, profound musicians. Mark Cohn. And well, after Ricky, didn't you do an album with James Taylor? I ended up working on a couple songs and oh. and uh, was hoping I, I would go out on tour. But, you know, he knows a few guitar players. So. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you know, there was there was a bunch of things going on around that time. Uh, uh, you know, and, and um, working with Ray kind of happened like the, the next year after wow. working with Ricky uh, and Joe Cocker shortly after that. And Is I also, tell, tell me about that. Tell me how how did you get the Cocker gig? And okay, well, Michael Lang was uh, Ricky's manager uh, at, at one point. I think it was the second tour that I did with Ricky, mm -hmm. and um, and then Michael was. Joe's manager as well. So they had this band, which was TM Stevens, uh, David Beale, um, Jeff Levine on keyboards, um, Danny Lewis on keyboards and horn, um, Marty Kursik. Um, uh, you know, the, it was great, great players. Uh, Phil Grande was the guitar player, and Phil had gone through some challenging times uh, uh, with, his, with alcohol. And Michael was kind of, you know, uh, honest with me. He said, look, uh, Phil is the guy. He's the lead guitar player. He played on the, the new record, but we're going to be doing a lot of other material. 
uh, from Joe's past. So there'll be room for you to, you know, to play lead too. And in a way, it gives, makes me feel like a little insurance just in case anything happens with Phil that you're there. I said, great, let's do it. So I ended up touring with, with Joe for about a year and Joe was so enamored with Ray Charles. And we would often hang out after gigs and, and you know, he even wrote on my tour book, you, me, and Ray Charles. <laughs> but he was so sweet, such a kind man, such a kind man, a mensch. And uh, so, yeah, so that, that was, you know, an amazing opportunity. Um, I, been right around the time, no, it's, it's way after the time. I was thinking that was around the time that Belushi was doing him all the time. What, it oh. was after that, though, wasn't it? I'm guessing. I, I don't know how far he was doing him, but I, I know there was an imitation going on yeah yeah um, well they actually did dueling joe cockers on saturday night live which right. is beyond hysterical well i kind of heard I, this could be wrong that joe didn't know joe joe didn't know that that was going to happen that that I, I i could be wrong it would be something to look up uh that i i think joe was a little surprised that she was taking it that far out but maybe not i don't know you know how we must get some. All right, that's an interesting story. <laughs> anyway. So, all right, so, okay, so Joe Cock, wow. Yeah. So, um, and we didn't talk about Marcone because Marcone was. Um, let's talk about Mark. Yeah. So, really, um, that was kind of a game changer for me. How did you meet? Actually, um, I had done a little bit of work with James Taylor mm -hmm. and been in the studio with him. Um, and um so james knew of me actually i think it was before before i was in the studio with him i i actually was recommended to him and we met at the caridad in, in new york it had had uh, black beans and yellow <laughs> rice together and I love, I, you know, I, they, they, that just closed it just uh, closed like a couple uh, months ago ah uh, bummer i had gotten a tape to him of my original material that I did at that recording studio, at Doug Cupper's recording studio. <clears throat> and a, 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 a friend, his personal secretary was, I was introduced to and we were, we were friends and uh, I gave her a tape and she said, do you mind if I give this to James Taylor? I go, uh, no, I don't mind. <laughs> and she called me and said, James loves your tape and he wants to meet you. So we met and uh, shortly thereafter, you know, James is a very gregarious guy and he's very sweet and very, um, he encourages musicians, you know. And so Mark Hone had moved to town and uh -huh. his wife at the time knew, um, you know, had, had an in to James and uh, got James some of his early music. And James said, this is really good. You should put together a band. And I know of a, a really good guitar player in town, Jeff Pivar. So that's how I got the gig with Marcone. You know, again, the wow. domino effect. You know, you just never know how it's wow. So I ended up playing on some of Mark's early demos. And then when he was putting his tour together, we ended up touring just as a duo, which was such an amazing opportunity for me because all the other touring I had done up till then was with larger bands. And right. when you're playing intimately like that, Mark, Mark is so ridiculously talented um and he's such a great performer he said he, he it reminded me uh when i saw bruce springsteen 
of the same type of endearing, relaxed feeling you go when you enter a concert and it, it feels like a living room instead of a concert. You know, and Mark does that. You know, he has this bedside manner that's so warm and funny and interesting. And so um, I learned so much working with him. And there were times when I was the only guitar player and he was just singing. Or there was times when I was just playing bass and he was singing. And I had never been on a concert stage where it was that naked. So, right. and that's how I, how Graham and David were introduced to me because I was opening up for them with Mark. Okay, so let's talk about, so how did that, how did you leave Mark to go do that? I said, Mark, <laughs> and, and I love you. And, uh, you know, uh, let, let's do some music down the road. I have this opportunity and I, I've got to follow it. And he, you know, what's he going to do? I mean, he understood. Say no to that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, it was interesting because uh, I remember being on the tour bus with Mark and we were listening to Crosby, Stills and Nash together. You know, so anyway, um, it just unfolded and uh, yeah, it, it, you just never know how the domino is going to fall and, and an opportunity comes around, you know, so. So tell, uh, I, I, from Bear, Laura Nero, I mean, that just blows my mind that you played oh. with Laura. I, I adored, worship Laura Nero. How, what was that like? What was she like? How did that so, happen? So basically my tenure with Laura was just working a couple of days in the studio with her. Um, she, I, I have uh, a, a very dear friend uh, who's a musician, does his own records and produces. His name is Peter Galway. And I had been doing a bunch of projects for Peter that he was producing. He was producing Cliff Eberhardt. Uh, very well yeah his uh, the record that he did for Wyndham Hill that uh, had Richie Havens so I played on that record with Cliff and um, and so uh, Peter had gotten asked to produce a couple songs on Laura's last record and so um, it was Chris Parker on drums I think Zev Katz on bass um, myself and Laura we were we were tracking uh, with quartet and she was on piano and singing, and uh, what an honor, you know. What a voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'm very proud of that. I wish I had more time to kind of get to know her. It was just, uh, you know, kind of do the session and bye. <laughs> well, you got to do the session and yeah, do that. What? So how about um, how about Bette Midler? What was what, that? Was more recent. What was that like? Yeah, um, my dear friend who ended up who was filling in for Ray Charles that night, Morris Pleasure, he was filling in on guitar. Mm -hmm. Morris and I became very close as the years went on. And Morris um, was, well, just to give you some background with Morris, Morris played with Earth, Wind & Fire. He was their band leader, uh, playing keyboards and double bass with Verdine. There's some, rec there's some YouTubes of the two of them, like at the edge of the stage, just killing it on the wow. bass together. Uh, Morris played with uh natalie cole he played with uh you know just uh, oh david foster and he actually got me um, I say you played with david foster as well uh, because of morris morris recommended me uh our my our dear friend Tariq akoni couldn't make one of the tours in asia and so i went to asia with david foster and it wow. was it was philip bailey singing earth wind and fire songs and it was um 
it was it was you know there was a number of different um, singers on that on that you know who were all big stars um, um, names are but anyway uh, we were talking about uh, Bette Midler so I'm on tour once again with Mark Cohn uh, but you know so thrilled that he called me back you know to do some more gigs with him mm-hmm. and um, and I was coming into New York City and because Mark and I were playing and I just happened to call Morris just to say hi mm-hmm. where are you and he goes oh I have some news for you I'm in New York I go really I'm just getting to New York he goes well I, I, I'll tell you when I see it but I, I might have a really a band leading gig I'm very excited about it but I can't I can't say anything and I said all right well uh, I'm staying at the blah 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 hotel, hotel. and he, he's like that's where I'm staying <laughs> I said I'll be there in 20 minutes <laughs> so we meet in in the bar like an hour later and he said I just spent the day with Bette Midler I think I have the gig and if I have the gig I'm going to get you on the gig and I'm like oh well I'm, I'm sure she has plenty of musicians she would you know work with he goes no 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 if I get this gig, I'm going to get you on this gig. Yeah. So myself and T- Tarek Akoni, who is just a genius guitar player and a beautiful man, the two of us played guitar for Bet. To answer your question about Bet, I mean, what a talent and a force, a force in nature. I mean, I, uh, it's like... She brings it like a million percent every night, right? Like every night. She's not possessed, but it's like being... <laughs> possessed you know it's like when you have that much talent and you have that much chutzpah she's a badass and i love her you know and she you do not fuck with that woman you know she will yeah she's 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 a badass did you did you ever get into it with her uh there was one time well there was one time during a rehearsal where there was a song that i was playing the lead solo and I learned the lead solo from the record. Mm-hmm. I, that's the respectful thing to do. Right. And after the song stopped, she said, Jeffrey, I, I expect my musicians to play. I don't need you to play the you know, solo from the record. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, I, I would prefer to play my own solo. But I just did it because I just assumed that was you know, the right thing to do. Right. And, I, I called her band leader uh, or her assistant and I just said, you know, I'm sorry if I created a problem or whatever. And she goes, no, don't worry about it. You know, well, to Beth's credit, the next day I get to rehearsal and, be, and she, you know, just as she's getting ready, she goes, oh, by the way, Jeffrey, I, I'm really sorry I, I yelled at you last night. So, look, everybody has their days, you know, people are just you know, people. That's very cool, though, that she was humble enough to apologize. Really? Uh, She's the only person I ever did standing room only to see her do Hello, Dolly a few years ago. Is that great? She was. Forget about it. Forget. I wouldn't stand for anybody in a Broadway, but it was worth it was worth every minute. She's she's a force of nature. And the way that she commands the stage and the way that she walks into the room. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's humbling. It's beautiful. And I'm, I'm honored that I had a chance to work with her. Yeah. Okay. So talking about big personalities, what was it like to play with Meatloaf? <laughs> well, admittedly, um, there's, there's a producer named uh, Russ Teitelman and, and Russ worked on many of my favorite records and Russ called me to play 
on a meatloaf, meatloaf song. There was a, a best of meatloaf record. Yeah. And they decided to put on a new song or maybe more than one new song. But I never met meatloaf. He was not there. I was just working wow. with Russ. And uh, so it, it is part of my legacy as far as discography, but as far yeah. as, you know, but I, I'm not a vegetarian, so I, there are times when I, <laughs> um, and how about Carly Simon? When did you work with Carly? Oh, God, she's an, another force of nature. She's so sweet. And, uh, so let's see here. So I, wait, is it true that Carly doesn't, like to play out, that she's nervous playing out live is that true well i i to, to give you the background because i i met her through playing with jimmy webb jimmy webb as you and others may or may not know is one of the iconic american songwriters i saw uh, him at carnegie hall actually say again years. i saw him at carnegie hall mm -hmm. a million years Nice. So we're talking, you know, the, the all of Glenn Campbell's big hits, you know, by the time I get to Phoenix, Galveston, um, yeah, uh, the list goes on and on, Up, Up and Away. Uh, and there's so many, so many tunes. Uh, Girl, I heard you getting married. You know, Did I mean. Did you write that, really? Yeah, For the Brooklyn yeah. Bridge? I didn't know yeah. that. Um, so I ended up being in a band uh, of New York players uh, celebrating the music of Jimmy Webb at Lincoln Center, uh, also featuring Glenn Campbell. and her. No, that's where I was. I was there. I, I was at that show. Okay. Oh, my God. You were on that show. Was. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so, so, interestingly, Jimmy was producing a record for Carly called... Oh film noir and Carly has uh, a guitar player that she's been working with for many years who's a phenomenal player and a fantastic acoustic player and and I called Jimmy knowing that that record was going on and I said Jimmy I just want to tell you that I, you might not know that I play mandolin and and lap steel in case anything comes up because you play mandolin he goes I got a tune I got a tune I want you to come down you know blah 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 so so there's a song on the record Lily Marlene, and and it, just a fun little piece of of historic musical uh, tidbit, right? So huh. we're in the studio, and they it, the song is an iconic song from you know the forties or fifties, or I would say forties. Um, huh. And so um, they call this man to play accordion they find the guy who's like the guy in new york his name is luis cortese or something <laughs> and luis shows up with his thing not knowing what song and they so what song are we playing they said well we're going to do lily my lane and he he sits down in the chair and he goes i've got a great story the last time i played this song i was in the infantry in the second world war i had my squeeze box and I was, you know, playing and the, all the officers found out that I was playing this instrument. So I was getting employed by the highest ranking um, officers to come to their uh, dinners. And like when the highest ranking officer was dating a woman, he was hired to like play in the other room. Right. <laughs> so 
so that that was his gig you know right so all of a sudden he gets a phone call while he's out on the field one day get your squeeze box they put him next to the phone and it's general eisenhower who is requesting lily marlene oh my the last the last time i played this song i played it for eisenhower over a field phone so oh my you know, God. All right so we were all just like had goosebumps but yeah, so I played mandolin on that on that song, and uh, and then there was one one other song that um, I ended up playing live on TV with Carly and and Jimmy. That the song is called "Spring Will Be a Little Late This Year," and it's a ballad. Spring will be a little late this year. You know, it's just a beautiful kind of. I know that song. Yeah, I'm not okay. singing it well, but but it's that kind of a romantic thing. Jimmy goes, I am envisioning you playing a guitar solo with the biggest guitar amp ever made in the middle of it. <laughs> so it's like so such a juxtaposition, almost kind of like right. a queen <laughs> guitar type solo, you know? And, you know, because I'm not a reader, I, I said to Jimmy, you know, I, I'm not really a great reader. He goes, oh, well, I'll sing it to you. And he sang me the solo and I played it. And then we ended up playing uh, Rosie O'Donnell show and uh, right. one other show. Oh, uh, CBS on the roof or something like that. But anyway, I did, I did two TV shows with the two of them. There they are playing this ballad. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, it's, God, that's it's, so online. Crazy. it's online somewhere. Spring will be a little wow. late. Yeah. Wow. How about um, Loggins and Messina? How did that happen? Uh, let's see here. I ended up um, meeting them. I, I had been a huge fan. I, I, I loved their stuff. In fact, uh, a dear friend of mine, Buck Pitts, and I share a birthday. His favorite band was Poco. My favorite band at the time was Loggins and Messina. They were playing at... Um, in New York on Long Island, uh, whatever the big Coliseum was, uh, Nassau Coliseum. Uh -huh. Nassau Coliseum, right? We decided to go a night early and just have a, a bro date, if you will. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're dear friends, you know, a bro hang. And I, it was the morning of, and I said, why don't we go down to the venue? And we parked a car, and one of the doors was ajar. And we walk in, and, you know, so I'm walking in and some guy comes up to it, goes, hey, what are you guys doing here? Are you, are you guys with Claire Brothers? And I said, um, yeah, yeah, that's where we're with. Claire <laughs> Brothers. He said, all right, well, the truck should be here in a few minutes. Why don't you get some donuts and coffee? So we go down and have some donuts and coffee. The trucks show up. We help unload. We uh, hang out all day long. They gave us two meal tickets, which was right around the time that we took the mushrooms. And then we... We watched the show. His the opening band was Poco, yeah. and he was in Glory, and the other band was Loggins and Messina. So, just to give you a little bit of backstory, wow, been a little bit ingrained in my consciousness, you know. Right. But uh, Wait, what year? Approximately, what year was that? Good question. Oh God, I'd have to do some investigating. Okay. Uh, uh, approximately. 
approximately. I'm, I'm so horrible with this. I'm, but you were like how old? You were like. I'm, all right, good. That, that's reasonable. Yeah. Mid twenties. Okay. Seventies. Yeah. Okay. Late seventies, early eighties. Uh, I'm gonna guess. I don't know. I can't even keep track of what happened yesterday, you know. <laughs> um, so I ended up meeting Jimmy and Kenny because uh, I was living in Santa Barbara. I think that was, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember all this stuff. But uh, I ended up doing some work with Kenny and he he ended up starting a call. I wrote 72. I don't know if that's true, but he's telling oh. you it was 72. All right. There you go. Good. Yeah, because it's online. And if you go Loggins and Messina, Nassau Coliseum, who, who wrote that? Paul, Paul Rosen. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Thank you, Newt. <laughs> we call each other Newt. I don't know why. I'm sure he started it. So anyway, um, so so uh, yeah, I started doing sessions for Kenny. He would uh, hire me to you know do some session work, and and in fact, I'm so excited. I'm I'm working on a Jeff Pivar second record. Nice. And he and I we're recording a bunch of songs, just the two of us. And I was kind of helping arrange with him. And I, we have this beautiful rendition of uh, the Beach Boys, uh, God Only Knows. Mm. And he ended up not using it. And I asked him if I could get the tracks. And he said, yeah, yeah, you can get them. So that that's going to be on wow it's kind of the two of us and 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 is uh, another amazing musician is jesse siebenberg who who's a fantastic producer uh put some tracks on there too but um oh my god it's so gorgeous so oh, i can't wait to hear that I was, so, I was so honored you know that uh you know these guys who were my big heroes and and i was on tour with crosby stills and nash and we had a night off in boston and I called Kenny and I said, hey, man, uh, I'm, I'm here and I've got a lap steel. Any chance I could sit in? I mean, I'm, I'm so ballsy. It's great. He said, yeah, yeah, bring the lap steel. And so I, I, I did, uh, they, they did in, on that tour, they did a uh, set where they had a general store theme and they were doing all these kind of acoustic-y things. So I played on Kind Woman and... Uh, you better think twice. I think it was, and a couple other things. It was no rehearsal. They just wow. Speaking of lap steel, did you tell me you're going to play something for us? Uh, oh, oh, okay. Well, I have a slide guitar. Yeah, with a slide guitar, we'll do that. We'll uh, we'll be very happy to hear that. You know, I, I kind of feel like I've just been talking nonstop, but I guess that's what these things are, right? Well, we were, you're giving us all the stories. That's what we want to hear. Fun. I, I got to say, I'm, I'm proud of the escapades. And, uh, you know, if I could be of uh, inspiration to anyone to following their dreams, I, I guess that's, you know, because I, yeah, I, I'd like to think that I'm a humble guy. I don't, I don't like to brag, but I'm just proud of the stuff that's happened. You're not bragging. You're telling us your story. And it just so happens that your story has some great stuff in it. This show was originally called The Road Taken because it's, it was about how people have managed to merge creativity and commerce and followed their dream, which is exactly what you've done. So well, thank you. I right on Mark. appreciate that. I appreciate that. All right. Let me uh, plug this thing in. So, um, you know, I don't just play songs that I've written with David Crosby, but today... 
that's what I'm saying. And, <laughs> and uh, so, so this particular song, it, it's kind of an interesting story. So when David Crosby and Graham Nash were still talking to one another, and mm. uh, I say that just because I'm sad and I don't, I, I, I pray they will be again. Because uh, I love them dearly, and I know that they love each other, even though, you know, uh, relationships get strained sometimes. And uh, uh, anyway, uh, I got asked to play on their, I think it's their last record together. And I ended up playing uh, a number of instruments on it, as well as I have a song on, on there, which isn't the one that I'm playing, but just to tell you the story, because I'm proud of it. Uh, I, David and Graham would often um, be involved with um, causes, raising money, uh, you know, battered women causes, benefits. They, they did a lot of that kind of work and they would call me to come play and they would pay me to come play, but they would, you know, basically donate their, their services. And right. it was just what an honor. We ended up doing a gig on the mall uh, uh, in Washington, Aretha Franklin played, uh, there was all these different people, but the night before the gig, Graham said, I've got this melody <clears throat> and it's, it's this thing about the Corcovado, you know, the, the Jesus of Rio. And he sang me this melody and immediately I came up with some chords for it. And we, ne we didn't finish it at that point, but then I heard they were going to do a record. <clears throat> so I got very proactive to being in touch with him and sending him ideas and I send me the lyrics and blah, blah, blah. And then I'd send him a little recording of the next version and this and that. And we got the tune together and we recorded it for the record. And who did they get to sing background vocals on it? But James Taylor. <sighs> James, so it's Jesus of Rio, uh, song written by uh, Jeff Pivar and, and Graham Nash, um, and I'm not playing it, but I, I had to tell you this story just because it's one of those <laughs> bucket list things, you know? It's like, oh my God, I can't believe this. How did I get so lucky? Anyway, this song is on that record, but it's not this version. And the reason why I say that is because David, uh, when, when we were working on the Crosby-Nash tour, there were, or actually it was the Graham Nash tour. I was working with another phenomenal guitar player named Dean Parks, who's very, very happening. I mean, he's a very in-demand. His discography is like as long as 20 people's arms. I mean, he played on everything, you know, Steely Dan, I mean, you name it. Fantastic musician. Well, <clears throat> when they were working on music for this record, David gave Dean and me these lyrics and asked each of us to come up with a version wow. and David found Dean's version more appealing to him, which was awesome. But this is my version of that song. Wow. <laughs> and I said to David, yeah, I said to David, you know, look, I, I have a version. He goes, that's awesome. You know, you, yeah, do it. You know, we both, we both wrote a song, uh, with these lyrics. And so why not? Was interesting because being uh, a musician who's you know playing with 
people's heroes, dare I say, sometimes uh, people reach out to you um, on the internet. And there was, the, the, the name of this song is called Charlie. <clears throat> and this guy named Charlie was writing me for a while, which had nothing to do with the lyrics of this song, but it has to do with this feeling that I have when I sing it. He was writing me and just, you know, just being a, an amazingly sensitive guy and this and that. And I heard at some point that they found him in his apartment and he had taken his own life. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. And so I sing this for, for Charlie um, every time I play this song. So this is David's lyrics called Charlie and David and Jeff's version versus David and Dean's version. from a higher place waiting for delivery could see it in his face Charlie was a cloud layer held the wind in his hands he flew like a raindrop didn't like to land Stuck to your mind Like the arrow of love Stuck in the face of time Charlie had a dark friend The best friend he ever had He didn't understand Good he didn't know about bad Good is a concept Like a loaf of bread Feeds the living while saying Grace for the dead Take a rainbow to dinner, take a rainbow to bed, chew your food and feed your head. Best damn meal that he ever got. Feeling ethereal, he floated away. He never worried, he did it twice a day. Three times on Saturday, if it suited his mood. Charlie sure wasn't a ethereal dude. He'd come home on Sunday and Kiss on the top of your head just like this.
Charlie was a message from to your I'm sorry, Charlie was a message from a higher place Waiting for delivery, could see it in his face Charlie was a cobbler, held the wind in his hands He flew like a raindrop, didn't like to land Like a rain dropped in and like to land. Oh my god, you know, slide guitar is like my favorite thing. That was so fabulous, Jeff. I love that. I don't know, I don't, I can't even imagine what Teen Parks' version sounds like because I love that one, but I'm gonna go find it. Um, oops. I just unplugged my headphones one second. No problem. Um, when you can hear me, by the way, I have some messages for you. So Paul said he was wrong. It wasn't 72, it was 76. That's because Gigi corrected him and Gigi wants to send you her love. Um, and um, Rich, Rich Sucks wanted to say hello to you. There's so many people that are, that are sending you love. Aw, thank um, you everybody. I'm so touched. Thank you. So Jeff, before we go, I mean, I could, I mean, I could ask you. Oh, I have to ask you about Shaka. So, what was what was that like? All right. Well, well, again, you know, some some of these experiences are are devoid of the uh, connection because um, while I was living in New York, I got a call from a woman named BB Green who was um, 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 uh, the man uh, who was producing Chaka at the time, I'm having a brain fart. And that, you know, that's, that's what's a little scary when, although I was having these my whole life. I, I'm not, <laughs> Me I'm too. Not They're not senior moments. My, my, Wasn't Michael Ruff her musical, her MD? And... Well, that's true. And that was, that was different. Uh, Marcus Miller, sorry. So <laughs> Bibi Green was Marcus Miller's uh, assistant. And she said, uh, we have a recording session for you for Chaka Khan. So I showed up and there's Marcus and me, just the two of us uh, in the studio together. And he's sitting, you know, right across from me and letting me kind of do what I do. And um, it was interesting because at one point um, I went for a Wawa thing and he goes, I know for a fact she does not like Wawa, but the way that you're playing it, I have a feeling she might like this. And, if, and it did make the record. So even that for me was, you know, kind of a, a kind of a cool thing, you know, because, you know, Wawa can be very uh, style. It just kind of. I happen to love the Wawa. I love, yeah, I too. I love the Wawa. Well, um, somebody asked, by the way, if you're still friends with Michael Ruff. Oh, dear friends. And in fact, I did a gig with Michael. I, I, right before COVID, um, Inger and I went out to visit our friends uh, in Hawaii. Uh, and it ended up being the thing where we took a plane uh, to, to Kauai, which I had never been to before. Um, and I, we spent time with my brother, Tim, who I didn't realize was caretaking a property out there. So I stayed with Tim, who I adore. And um, so uh, I contacted Michael and he said, well, I'm doing a Friday night gig. Um, I'll get an amp for you if you want to play. I was like, yes, please. <laughs> I love Michael. Uh, he is my brother. You know, there's certain people. Um, I mean, 
when I met Michael, I, my, my musical um, abilities were kind of in this little circle. And it's like he kind of opened up like an egg, this little circle, and gave me this perspective of like what is even possible. He said something to me so early on that it took me years to understand it. He said to me, you know, Jeff, I see you trying so hard. You know, you don't have to try so hard. Just accept that you have the gift. Now, I like to look at it as you don't have to try so hard if you get out of your ego and allow the gift to come through you. So in a way, yeah, I guess, you know, you do a certain amount of work to where you can embody the gift on a certain level to where it's kind of like when you learn vocabulary. I mean, here we are using thousands of words to convey a, a thought and you know when you work on music you do the same thing you create your vocabulary and a, a place to communicate your feelings and so to me you know I, I don't like to feel that we're all that responsible for greatness if you will or aspiring to greatness or aspiring to play above your head you know, above your ability, that in fact, if you get out of the way, that the muse kind of comes into play and something more powerful than your intention happens. Jeff, I think that happens with everything in life. It's not just music. It's not just art. It's when we get out of the way in relationships, when we get out of the way with everything and just let go. Yep. Somebody said something great the other night that if my hands are like this and I'm hanging on to something and trying to control it, there's no room for anything to come in. But as soon as I go like this, there's space here. Perfect. Exactly. So, yeah. So um, Michael, his his musicality at, at 15 and 16 was just 18 or whatever. It was unbelievable. It was like a 50 or 60 year old jazz master. So wow. someone has... Uh, that type of message <laughs> to uh, you know convey you, you listen and uh, he, he besides the fact that he got me the first gig with Ricky and and kind of really pulled the strings you know to kind of go you know I know you have it in you you're just frightened and you just stick it out if you want it you get it you know and so he did me a, he's he did me a real solid then and he has forever kind of emblazoned his support and love to me as a brother, you know? So yes, I do see brothers, And you know, Ricky's memoir is coming out very soon. And I have a feeling that your name will most on, most definitely I'm guessing will be in there. Yeah. Um, I would think, but speaking of brothers. So I, I, we talked about this before we came on the air, but I had no idea that you played with, with Cooch so much. And, um, oh. and, yeah, there's there's so much music of, of you guys on YouTube, tons. Well, Danny moved to Connecticut where I was living um, because his daughter was living there. And, um, you know, uh, like any father, you know, from a uh, from my understanding, a marriage that no longer was uh, made it a priority to be around his family. And um, I think, you know, you, you seek out other kindred spirits who are talented when you live in a certain area and you're kind of 
somewhat sequestered, if you will. Mm. And I have been a fan of his for a long time, and I kind of knew at some point that maybe our paths would cross. And uh, so I definitely mm -hmm. seeked him out too. And we did a few shows where it was just the two of us. You know, I've been doing a few uh, solo gigs where I'll implement the use of, uh, of a looper, not so much in the traditional sense where you sit and watch someone play something and then they press a button and then it comes out the same thing and then you play over it. Although sometimes that, but you know, rather than put people through that agony of, all right, here's the first part and now here's the second part. No. <laughs> I, I just would pre-record some things. So, um, you know, being a producer, being a multi-instrumentalist, um, you know, I love to play bass and percussion. And so I put some, we got together and put some tracks together um, and, you know, very minimal. So the two of us could be two guitar players who could go out and maybe play some songs, just two guitars, but then some songs that had a rhythm feel and we could play a bunch of his songs. So I brought him to a number of uh, places, uh, one in Maine and you know, there a couple other places where we did shows together as, as a duo. And, and there was one that we did that's online. Um, there's a guy named Don O'Dell who does uh, basically tapes you for free and you just play his place and he gives you the, uh, the video and he gave me the audio and I had a chance to mix it. And so, I, so whatever was happening sounded a little better than just this is what I, was on the camera, you know. So, there, yeah, there was a bunch of, uh, of those gigs. I, I played Affinity Hall with him. Um, so I, I love Danny Korshmar. He is such a classic guitar player and such a wonderful musician. Uh, and a brilliant songwriter. I mean, a brilliant songwriter. Agreed. 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 So, uh, and he's working with my dear pal, Steve Stell. Hey, Steve Postel, and also you've played with Lee, you've played with Russ, I mean, the whole immediate family, yeah. but you and Steve really go back tightly a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, when I moved to New York, we found each other early on, and, and Steve saw me play in, in Greenwich Village and uh, immediately asked me if I would join his band, and so we were rehearsing up in his, uh, in his uh, apartment on, where was it? 50s or something like that I, oh 70s anyway um and we did all kinds of gigs together i played out i met you you guys played it in my club yeah right yep yeah he had you know numerous bands little blue and uh i play on most of those records on a few cuts or here or there but we've done gigs together he brought me out to colorado for years and uh he's just my bro you know, and I'm so proud of him and the work that he's doing with the immediate family. Mm -hmm. It's such a perfect marriage, if you will, um, how uh, these iconic musicians, um, you know, are all working together and how Steve brings the whole package perfectly, uh, unites it. Uh, it's kind of like the, um, the uh, what's the, you know, kind of the corrals all the, Conduit, is that yeah. the right word? Conduit and, and corrals all the energy because uh, he's a fantastic arranger and businessman and singer and guitar of an angel. Yeah, I love him. Uh, we, we, we're dear, dear friends for many, many years. And he's, he's, you know, brought a lot of different opportunities to me that I'm very grateful for. Yeah. That's wonderful. 
So, okay, so before we go, from the core, you got to do your first solo album. Right. Tell, tell everybody how that happened and where that is and what that is. All right. Well, I'm going to try to abbreviate it slightly because it's, okay. it's kind of a... Um, living out here, um, a, a friend of mine inquired if... Uh, a friend of mine named Greg Frederick was producing a PBS special on the Oregon Caves National Monument, which is a, uh, a caves that was discovered uh, from, I think, a natural cave that was created by water leaching into limestone and creating these vast, this vast cave system, which is, I think, a couple miles long and leads to this huge room called the Ghost Room. And uh, Greg was contacted to do a PBS documentary on it and asked me if I would be willing to put some guitar music together for it. And how that normally happens is, as you may know, you know, they create the video and he would go, okay, between, you know, here and here, I need some music and between here and here and blah, blah, blah. So I, of course, I agreed happily. He called me a few days later and said, listen, we have permission to record in the cave if you want to and a voice pretty much said to me yes <laughs> don't prepare anything just go to the cave so i brought an acoustic guitar in fact the acoustic guitar i am playing the, the first guitar that i played that guitar and a eight string mando cello and proceeded to they they uh, brought in a um, Pro Tools rig and my dear friend who lives here, Brett Levick, was uh, running a Pro Tools rig that was uh, solar powered and uh, they threw a couple mics up and they per perched me up on this rock in the ghost room and, and I was basically okay, first song, go and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to offer them kind of a potpourri of musical style, something that's up and exciting, something wow. mysterious, something that's bluesy, something. I'm going to do some varied tunings because I love to play in varied tunings influenced by Crosby and Joni and blah, blah, blah. So I just had no idea what I was going to play, but 12 pieces came out of all varying styles and varying tempos and directions thinking this will give them a nice plethora to choose from depending on what it is they're gonna want right so the they uh they sent me these 12 songs so i could edit uh which was nice because maybe i start a an, in, an introduction and then i'd go to something that took maybe a second to develop so in the places where i felt like it was meandering i could kind of take that little section out and find the real biscuit you know the real crux and uh, i edited the 12 songs some of them are exactly the way that they went down some of them i added sections so um but added like maybe repeating something that i had done there right put that uh, those 12 songs out they used eight out of the 12 then greg called me and said they want to find out if you'd be interested in putting this cd out for sale at the at the um at the Oregon Caves National Monument store. And I was like, yeah, but I need to do some stuff to it. 
you know, it's kind of like a Christmas tree without any stuff on it, you know. I, it works fine if someone's going, the Oregon caves were discovered and blah, blah, blah. blah. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up going around my house, finding anything that I thought might fit this track. Uh, I took out an accordion, which I barely play, but when you have your own studio, you can play one chord at a time. <laughs> put your hands and then there's the next one. Uh, I played harmonica, I played mandolin, I played various instruments. And as the project went on, I got a few special guests, friends, uh, a flautist on one uh, who was playing with Ricky Lee Jones on the tour that I was doing and two different violinists, a cellist. Well, when I was working with Ricky, there was one opportunity where we played as a duo and, and who happened to be in the audience but John Anderson from Yes, who was playing the same club the next night. I didn't know he was there, but I had the next night off and the man who owned the venue invited me to come enjoy, and join him at his table and see the show. And at the end of the show, he said, you want to come back and meet John? I'm like, hell yeah. The first words out of John's mouth was, were you the guy playing guitar with Ricky Lee Jones last night? And I go, yeah. He goes, oh, I love the way you play. There, here's my email. We got to work on something together, right? Wow. That was two years before this thing happened. And while I'm kind of, uh, let's say, uh, bringing these songs out from the original track by itself to their full birth, I thought, oh my God, if I could get John Anderson to sing on this song. So I put together an email on a Sunday but, morning. Jeff, I'm sorry, I have a question for you yeah. that's apropos at the moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he gives you his email. Yes. You're a dynamic, go for it, get it done kind of guy. Yeah. Do you connect with it? Do you send mm -hmm. him an email? Do you connect right away mm -hmm. and make that happen? Like a, a day later, yeah. I said, hey, John, Jeff Pivar, really excited uh, that you gave me your contact. Um, when the time is right, you'll be hearing from me. Uh, I'm really looking forward to your invitation. Thank you. And uh, maybe you had written one other time just to say hi or, you right. know, be in the area. But I knew you didn't wait two years to no. make that. In it. Yeah, correct. Correct. And it's a good question. And it's an important question for anyone who, you know, uh, gets an opportunity. You don't sit on the opportunity. You, you know, you light the fire, you know, you get it smoldering. And uh, so uh, 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning when this one song I thought I had a title to it, River of Dreams. And I thought this would be a great, uh, it would, I, I just, I could hear John singing on this thing. So I wrote him uh, a, a message and I decided to send two other uh, pieces just so we could hear a little bit more of the diversity of the project. Cause this one tune is very, very simple. I, and I said, listen, John, it, um, kind of, you know, calling you on your opportunity to work on something. If you feel inspired, it could be scatting over it. It could be whatever you want. And it's, and I only have a title, River of Dreams. Well, three hours later, all three songs come back with harmonies, lyrics, and a letter saying, you made my morning. Now, I have a wet spot under my chair, and I'm also realizing I can't feature the iconic singer John Anderson on three songs that is turning out to be a Jeff Pivar record. But I wrote him back and I said, look, if you're cool with it, I'd like to feature on the one song on this project, use the other ones for a future thing. And I'd also like, I just love what you did. He did 
there were three verses. He did two verses with no harmonies. The third verse, he did three-part harmonies. So I, I, I amended the song. I said, listen, I've created a fourth verse. Can you, do you mind doing three-part la-las? Because, you know, John Anderson to me is la-la-la. I mean, you know, it's, he does that all day in my mind. You know, we're just walking out the door. La-la-la. <laughs> so he, he agreed to it. And I said, I added a harmony on the second verse. If you want to be the only singer, that's fine. And he wrote back. He said, no, I'm happy to do it. Your vocal sounds great, blah, blah, blah. So the fact that this thing appeared, you know, my, my dear brother, Steve, who's, uh, I mean, here's a guy who graduated Princeton, graduated uh, UConn, with honors, went to Princeton, graduated Princeton with honors, you know, has, has gone after his career, right? right? He's one of my biggest supporters and has been saying, Jeff, when are you gonna put out a record? Man, come on, you know, you're so talented. And I would say, I know it's gonna happen. I'm just waiting for the right opportunity because I didn't want to put out yet another guitar player record. He plays the blues. He plays as fast as he can. You know, just there's so many cookie cutter guitar player records. I wanted to do something unique. And it was so cool that this thing fell into my lap. I had no idea it was going to turn into my first record. And by Greg calling me and saying, hey, you know, they want to sell this thing. And he gave me all the songs to use because sometimes when you're providing music, they own all that stuff. It's a buyout. Right. But he right. all the rights to the songs. And um, I got John Anderson on it and uh, from the core. You know, it's it was, I'm so proud of it because it's so left side of or, or unexpected direction for, you know, Jeff Pivar that some people know is like, well, he, he really plays lead guitar and it's all acoustic, you know, and I use a fretless acoustic guitar actually to play a lot of the solos. And it was really nice to put out something unique, but it never hurts to have an iconic musician like John Anderson on the record. So, oh my God, it's so incredible. So um, people are asking, can they find your music on iTunes? So here's the thing. Um, we prefer that you find it at our website. And the okay. reason is this. iTunes, they sell it at iTunes, and I would probably make, if I sold 100 records, I might make 50 cents. Mm -hmm. If I sell a record from my website, mm -hmm. I get the price. And it's, it, it's a way to support the artist. So um, at pvar.com, P-E-V-A-R.com, we have all kinds of music there. You can also download it if you're not wanting to buy a CD. You can download um, that through CD Baby, and we get, uh, you know, a, a very good portion of the sale. Um, and not to say that you know you shouldn't do iTunes because it's convenient, but the musicians don't make squat, and that's why I encourage you all to support the musicians and go to their websites and buy the music there because that's the way that they actually make any money worth anything uh, with their records these days. Well, I, I included the link um, on the, on the pre-show and I'll do it again when I write the liner notes for the post-show so that people can get to you easily. So speaking of one more website, my wife, uh, Inger Jorgensen and I are doing these concert, uh, online concerts from our house. We did two so far. There's a website where we are archiving these shows and they're badass. And, the, and part of the reason why they're badass is we have an amazing videographer who's doing these shows and, and 
um, doing an amazing job with multicam. And then uh, I'm able to uh, massage the, uh, you know, the sound. So the, the website that we archive these shows is New Bohemia Live, N-E-W-B-O-H-E-M-I-A-L-I-V-E, newbohemialive.com. We have two shows already. One is a duet show with Inger and I. One is a quintet show we just did. We're doing a, another one on May 1st, which is Trio, doing a bunch of Hendrix and stuff. And we're just going to keep doing different types of things. The other website you have to go to is, because I'm such a fan of my wife's work, ingernovajorgensen at gmail. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Inger. NovaJorgensen.com. Great. You'll 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 send me all three links, yeah, and I'll put, the, I'll put them in the show. I, so people I am confused, and there's so much to remember, and I'm not. I'm, my memory is, yeah, it's just I'm an Aquarius. I'm gonna blame it on Aquarius. What else can I blame it on? The sun. <laughs> um, I think Inger Inger just put the website up on the oh, on thank the right. Thank you, Inger. Thank you and much. she put the new Bohemia up. Oh, so Inger's on it. She's got all the all the links right awesome. there. Awesome. She is my the best thing that ever happened to me it's wonderful i'm so really? you know it's so wonderful to see you so happy i saw you about 12 years ago you were new and i mean you'd already been together for a few years but mm. wildly in love and it's nice to see it sustaining through the years and well you know with covid it's certainly been a test for relationships <laughs> i'm sure and we have gotten closer and closer all the time and i'm i just adore this person it's really i feel like the big force just said, okay, you're ready now. You're ready to, you know, be an adult. Here you go. Here's the keys of the kingdom, you know, and uh, I'm just honored. You know, we, we, we do so much for each other and it's, it's the best thing ever. So love it's wonderful you. Wonderful to be so happy. It's been wonderful to spend this time with you. I adore you. Thank and you. I look forward to meeting Inger and, um, I can't wait for the day when we can converge back in living rooms and have you guys in mind. And, oh my God, that would be fun. And uh, come up and see a concert in yours. And thank you so much for doing this, Jeff. I, I first asked you to do this so many years ago, I can't even count. So I'm, I'm thrilled that it finally came to pass. That's the one good thing of COVID is that yeah. now we can do things virtually. We don't have to be in the same room. And, and I, didn't have, I didn't have the technology together to do it on the level that I would like to do it, you know, and, and admittedly, I've been, you know, working on my singing, which, you know, I'm, I'm more of a guitar player than a singer, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm giving it my best. And, uh, you know, there's some people like Marcone or, you know, some of these other singers, they just open their mouth and it's just there and it's like, oh my God. So I'm, you know, I, I think it's important um, that we push, you know, and, and, Hopefully, as time goes on, we develop a way to communicate through what it is that we're looking to communicate. But I want to acknowledge you, Vicki, for doing what you're doing and bringing so many uh, people together, you know, to celebrate the arts and to uh, discuss these stories that are part of the embroideries of people's lives that very few people would have the uh, ability to uh, share and maybe be. Uh, a little fulfilled, you know, from hearing some of these stories and be inspired to work on their dreams. You know, the, the best thing that I could possibly do uh, for another human being besides offering my heart and my story is to 
give them some happiness and give them some inspiration to pursue their dreams or just enjoy a moment in the sun, you know. So thank you for that opportunity and, and God bless you for doing all the work that you're doing. Um, I, I'm, it's an honor to be on your show and, and spend this time with you. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. Uh, it, all the liner notes and everything, and everyone will be able to find this and watch it again and on YouTube and on iTunes and all that stuff. Awesome. And all your links for all your stuff will be on the show. And thank you again, Jeff. Thanks. I appreciate it. it. You know, it's it's a, it's an opportunity, you know, uh, that we as musicians and artists have this forum to be able to reach out to the world and share our music and share these passions. And uh, thank you everyone for spending the time uh, viewing this and, and supporting Vicky's show. You know, you do this every Wednesday, right? Yeah. So, you know, come back and support her show and, and uh, thanks. Uh, we'll hopefully see you all uh, either virtually or uh, at a concert in the near future. Right? I look forward to it. Take care, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you everybody. See you next week. Bye.